Let's go for the next uh, few minutes to, uh, we're going to go to Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis, and then we're going to move to to John. I want to welcome everybody. A lot of people watching online this morning. I want to thank you for, for being here today. We're going to Genesis chapter 17, and we are going to continue today on our year-long series on the names of God, getting to know God by name. And today we're going to look at the wonderful name El Shaddai, which means Almighty God. Now remember, I shared with you last week, and we have, as you see on stage, we've got some uh, diamonds uh, that are on loan to us from Tiffany. I tried to, I, I tried to get this fitted for Tammy's uh, hand, and it was a little too big, so we're going to use it as a sermon illustration. Beautiful, beautiful diamond. This diamond is not only priceless, but it's indestructible. What I like about this diamond is you see it in different settings, and because of the light, you get a, you get a new vista, a new vision, a new perspective every single time. So what we're going to do today is we're going to simply just take this beautiful diamond and we are going to turn it. And we're going to see God in a, in a different light. Last week we talked about that Jesus is the name above all names. How many of you believe that today? Let me, let me see your hands. It's the name above all names. Every name. Elvis, Bono, Dr. Fauci, Trump. Buddha, everybody is going to kneel to that wonderful name. The name does above all names. His name is Jesus. He's not only called Jesus, but in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, he is called El Shaddai, or the Almighty God. So what we're going to do for the next few moments, we're simply going to shift this diamond just a little bit, and we're going to get a brand new vision of who God is. His name is El Shaddai, Almighty God. Now, before we start, I want to ask you a question. I want you to really think about this for the next few minutes. What are you facing today that it feels like and it looks like it's an impossible situation? I really do believe that everybody has got an impossible situation. You're either facing one now or you're just coming out of an impossible situation or you're getting ready to walk into an impossible situation. But chances are every single one of us, we have an impossible. And when we worship an almighty God, even the things that seem impossible are possible. Because he is the almighty God. A couple weeks ago on, I believe it was Monday night, I've turned into a Buffalo Bills fan because my, son, uh, my son-in-law, Jack, is a Buffalo Bills fan. And so I just wanted to connect with him on a new level and thank God for a great son-in-law. We went up there for my birthday, went up to the Buffalo Bills Packers game. And, and I'm an avid Buffalo fan now. I've, I've got a hat. 
I've got a sweatshirt. I, I do not have a bumper sticker yet, but I'm, I'm getting ready. And I watched with, with 10 million people what was going to be really one of the greatest uh, games of the season, the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And you along with me were riveted as we saw a tragedy take place that really has really never happened on the football field before in the NFL game. Tamar Hamlin apparently had a, a heart attack on the field after a hit, and we watched in horror. You know, these broadcasters, they're paid to talk. And they were speechless. There was nothing to say. You see the pictures that we have for you on the screen, they were, they were speechless. They didn't, know, they didn't know what to say. An impossible situation. They took him immediately to the hospital and, and, and after uh, much prayer and really the whole world coming together, which when I saw this, I was absolutely delighted to see the world come together. All races, all football fans of, uh, of every different team came together, and what I really enjoyed seeing, and I don't know the guy's name, I think he's a former NFL quarterback, but on ESPN News, right in the middle of a live broadcast, he said, we need to pray, and we're going to pray right now. And he prayed the most powerful prayer I've ever heard. It was genuine, he was risking his career, but this is an impossible situation uh, really turned out remarkably, and uh, DeMar is now with the Buffalo Bills, and obviously he's not going to be playing, but he's with the team, and an impossible situation was turned around. I, when I saw that, I thought, man, that is an amazing thing to see, how one person and their life faced with an impossible situation, things can turn around. And in your life and in my life, whatever impossible you are facing, I believe with God, all things are possible. His name is El Shaddai, Almighty God. First time this name is mentioned is in Genesis chapter 17. And God is looking at Abraham, and watch this, Abraham is 99 years old. The dude is old. And he's wanting to have children. He's wanting to have a boy. They're wanting to have a baby. And here's, he and Sarah were faced with, I would consider, an impossible situation. The dude is 99. She's 90. And yet they wanted to have a baby. And God showed up in Genesis chapter 17, and he showed himself to be the almighty God, El Shaddai, and he filled them with faith to believe. And guess what? God, just like he did in Damar Hamlin's life, God showed up for Abraham and Sarah and showed himself and revealed himself to be the almighty God, El Shaddai. With God, all things are possible. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 5, just for a few moments, and we're going to look at another impossible situation that is in the New Testament. Abraham was faced with an impossible situation. Sarah was faced with an impossible situation. Damar Hamlin was faced with an impossible situation. And here in John chapter 5, we're going to see a guy who was also faced with an impossible situation. How many of you are here today, and you've, you've had an impossible situation in your life before? Let me see your hand. A lot of you. Yeah. In John chapter 5, this was an incredibly difficult situation. Verse 1 says, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem. 
for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool, which in Aramaic means Bethesda. And it was surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who had been there for 38 years. Everyone say 38. When he saw Jesus lying there, or when Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Can you imagine the impossible situation that this young man was faced with? For 38 years, he was paralyzed, unable to get in the pool when the water was stirred, and he was faced with an impossible situation. This used to be one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I say used to be, and it's not really one of my favorites right now because I've got a lot of questions about this particular story. The Bible says that this man was, he was invalid. The blind, the lame, those that were paralyzed would sit by this pool and one time a year the water would stir and if you were lucky enough to get in the pool, you'd get healed. The name of the pool is Bethesda. Now, you know I'm getting ready to tell you what Bethesda means. You, you know that, right? I've taken you some to this pool. I have been to this pool. I have read this scripture at this pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means kindness. And I do like the fact that Jesus showed this man some Kindness because he, because he had been laying there for 38 years. For those of you that like numbers and statistics, uh, that's 13,870 days. It's 322,880 hours. It's 19,972,800,000 minutes. 38 minutes. I told you this used to be one of my favorite stories. It's really not anymore because there's a lot of questions I have about this story. It's at the pool of Bethesda, the pool of kindness. And I guess my question is now, since our family has personally had to deal with special needs, being paralyzed, being in a coma, and I guess my question is, I'll probably get some emails this week about this is, is it really kind that you got to wait 38 years to get healed? Is it, is it really kind that you got to beat out out of a thousand people that are blind and lame and paralyzed? You've got you've to beat out a thousand other people to get into the pool one time a year? 
Is that really kind? And I struggle with this. I used to preach this all the time. I love this story. I don't really love it anymore because I've got more questions than I do answers. And yet I know that for this young man who was faced with an impossible situation, El Shaddai, Almighty God, walked into his life and he was made whole and well. I hope you don't mind that I have questions. I, I know I'm going to get emails on this. Some of you are great theologians. I get emails and letters frequently from those of you that are brilliant in your theology. I look forward to getting your email this week. But in this story, I've got more questions than I do answers. But I do know this, that for this young man, El Shaddai walked in on the scene and he became the mighty God and he was healed and I'm happy for him. I wonder about the other thousand. I wonder about those that are didn't, didn't get in. Just, just missed it. A second late. They didn't have anybody to help them in and they, they just missed it. Now you got to look at them and say, you got to wait another 365 days. But for this young man, Almighty God showed up in a big way. El Shaddai, and he was healed. And I believe that God, in the midst of my questions, is still mighty God, El Shaddai. And he's to be honored, and he's worthy of all our praise. Can I, can I get an amen? The title of today's message is, watch this, Impossible is Nothing. I like that title. I would love to tell you today that, that, that I was on my knees praying for a great title, and I came up with this. I didn't come up with this. Adidas came up with this. And they spent $52 million during the World Cup to launch this campaign, Impossible is Nothing. And I saw it while I was watching the World Cup soccer matches. And on the field was this phrase, impossible is nothing. I wonder where they got that campaign from. Spent $52 million. And I'm here to tell you today that with Almighty God, with El Shaddai, nothing is impossible and impossible is nothing. And what you are faced with today, much like this young man in John chapter 5, with Almighty God, with El Shaddai, impossible is nothing. And when we are faced with impossible situations, how do we respond and how do we believe God in the midst of our questions and the midst of our doubt? With God, all things are possible. Can I get an amen? amen. So let's go. I've got... Um, Eight points I'm going to give you real quickly today, because we've got an information meeting right after church, 
And, and, but this is our priority today. And so for the next few moments, I want to give you, uh, I want to give you eight points that I believe are going to help you in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your impossible situations. How do we respond when we are faced with an impossible situation? Are you with me? Let me hear an amen. amen. So you'll see in your notes, I've got this, uh, the, this part in the notes where it says, we make God small in our eyes. And I got that phrase from, from a wonderful song that we used to sing years ago, ago called Be Magnified. Be magnified, O Lord, you are highly exalted, for there is nothing too hard for thee. O Lord, my eyes are on you. Be magnified. How many remember that song? O Lord, be magnified. That's the chorus, but the verse is powerful. And the first verse is, God, I have made you too small in my eyes. And that phrase has stuck with me all these years. Sandra talked about it a few minutes ago. We put God in a what? Come on, church. We put God in a box, and we sometimes, all of us, we make God small in our eyes. God's not small. His name is El Shaddai. His name is Mighty God. But sometimes we make God small in our eyes. And when we do, here's some life lessons that I believe that we can learn. Number one, we make God small in our eyes when we lose our childlike faith. We make God small. We put him in a box when we lose our childlike faith. Do you remember what it was like to be a child? For some of you, it's been a long time. <laughs> Child, children, they're simple. Doesn't take much to please them. Seems like the older we get, the more cynical we become. We get this attitude, been there, done that, know how it's going to turn out. And therefore, when we are faced with an impossible situation, we make God small in our eyes. Why? Because we're no longer filled with childlike faith. This is my message for you today, church. Get back to being not childish, but childlike faith. As you're faced with your impossible situation, try to be like a child. Ask God to help you to have childlike faith, and that will help you in the midst of your impossible situation. We got a call from Allison uh, this week, and it was, it was kind of comical. She was a school teacher, and she shifted uh, uh, careers, and now she's in real estate, and she is a confident Man, she is a go-getter, but she has just been uh, a little, a little uh, discouraged the past couple of months because of the economy and real estate. And she said something as she was calling me to ask for money. <coughs> How many dads ever had their kids call for money? She says, Dad, this, this adult stuff is not fun. She didn't. It's not fun. And I believe that we can make God big, and he can be an almighty God, watch this, when we make the decision 
that we're not going to act like 60-year-olds or 65-year-olds or 70-year-olds. We are going to act filled with childlike faith to believe that with God all things are possible. We make God small when we lose our childlike faith. Number two, if you're with me, let me hear an amen. We make God small when we elevate our problems bigger than God. When we elevate our problems bigger than God. That's why David said in Psalm 121, I'm going to lift up my eyes to you who's enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of the slave look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of the female slave look to the hands of the mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord till he shows up mercy. Have mercy on us, O God. Have mercy on us, O God. Why? David was saying, I'm going to lift my eyes. I am not going to allow my problem to be bigger than God. And I'm here to tell you today, my name is Scott George. I'm here to help you. And I'm here to tell you that God is bigger than whatever problem you're faced with. Don't elevate your problem bigger than God. You know what some people do with problems? They're like pets. They feed them. They focus on them. And the more you focus on your problem and feed your problem, your problem gets bigger and your problem elevates itself over a big God. Because you have made the decision to focus on your problem and not El Shaddai. Whatever problem you're faced with today, God is bigger. You got cancer? God's bigger. Faced with bankruptcy? God's bigger. Got marriage problems? God's bigger. Fighting pornography? God's bigger. Having an issue with drinking? God's bigger. God's bigger. And we make God small in our eyes when we elevate our problems bigger than God. Number three, we make God small when we quickly forget how mighty he's been in the past. How many of you are here today and you have seen God show up in a mighty way and you say, God, your faithfulness is great? Yeah, a lot of us. But sometimes we quickly forget how faithful he has been in our past. That's why the writer says, watch this. Great is thy faithfulness. Watch this. Lord, unto me. I would encourage you to do this today. I know you're in a hurry to get home and watch football. I would encourage you to do this. Stop for a few moments and go back in your history. Go back a year. Go back five years. Go back ten years. And start thinking about how God has been faithful in your past. And if he's been faithful in your past, chances are he's going to be faithful in your future. Because his faithfulness is great. Can I get an amen? amen? I love this one. We make God small in our eyes when we easily surrender to fatigue and fear. You know, I'm starting to find out now that I'm 60. I'm not quite as spunky as I used to be and, 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 and energetic. I don't have the energy that I used to have when I was 30 or 40. You know what happens? You, you get older, you get what? You get a little fatigued. And guess what? When we are faced with problems and issues, we get fatigued. And then when you get fatigued, the very next thing that comes behind your fatigue is fear. You just get tired. You just get worn out. 
You just want a little peace and quiet. And in the midst of your fatigue, a spirit of fear creeps in, and suddenly your problems become really, really big because you're tired and you're fearful. What I would encourage you to do is not allow fatigue and fear to come in and grip your heart and your life. God's bigger than your problem. Don't allow fear and fatigue to come in and steal the bigness of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Number five, we make God small in our eyes when we fight in the natural world. What do I mean by that? Watch this. Your battle is not of this world. Your battle that we are faced with is in a spiritual dimension, and you've got to fight in the spirit world, not the natural world. Are y'all with me today? Your daughter-in-law is not the problem. Your president is not the problem. Your boss is not the problem. Your wife, your kindergarten teacher, they're not the problem. You're fighting in the natural world, and our fight is not against the natural. The fight is a spiritual fight. And when you fight in the natural, God is smaller in our eyes. But when you step back and say, I'm not going to fight in the natural world. I'm going to fight in the spirit world. God becomes big because your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the darkness. Stop fighting in the natural and fight in the spirit world. And when you do, you'll make God bigger. Can I get an amen? amen. Number six, we've only got two more. We make God small in our eyes when we fight our battles alone. Alone. Let me have your eyes and ears just for a moment now. Powerful lesson. You are intelligent. You have financial resources. You have incredible experiences. But you cannot live this life the way God wants you to live doing it alone. By yourself. Thinking that you've got the qualities. Thinking that you've got all the letters behind your name and you're all that. Guess what? We're impressed with your degrees. We're impressed with your experience. We're impressed with the size of your bank account. But you cannot release the power of God in your life if you're always fighting alone. You have got to have somebody. And I really don't believe it's, it's a lot of people. I think that every man, every woman, you ought to have two or three people that is your go-to. The people that are going to get in the bunker with you and they're going to fight like heck. Those are the kind of people that you have to develop now before the battle. You cannot wait to rally your team in the middle of the battle. It's too late. You have got to cultivate now ahead of the battle so that when the battle comes, your team is already in place. 
Many of you know, as a family, we were absolutely devastated, traumatized when our son, Austin, had that terrible accident September 14th. We're learning to move past what we'll never get over. But can I tell you something? I had spent years developing relationships, pouring into people, giving to people, lifting people, encouraging people. And when I was faced with the biggest battle of my life, I didn't have to look far for my teammates. They were already there because I had been working on them for 30 years. You don't have the energy or the time to rally your teammates in the middle of a battle. Somehow, people out of the woodwork just show up to help you fight because you can't fight alone. And if I were you, I would have those relationships. Cultivate them now. Because one day you're going to need them because if you are fighting all by yourself, you are limiting the power of God. God needs a team. He needs, you need a, pe- a, a, a team of people that are going to come behind you and with you and stand with you to fight the battles that you are faced with. Number seven. Got two more. Are y'all with me? We make God small in our eyes when we fight alone. And then number, number seven, we make God small in our eyes when we slowly isolate ourselves. You isolate yourself. You get tired, you get fatigued, and you just slowly begin to isolate yourself. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you alone, and you do it by isolation. Now, can I just be honest with you here? Well, I've been honest all morning, but. (laughs) COVID's over. Now, I know it's nice to watch church on TV and on the internet. I mean, come on, I get it. It's convenient. It's comfortable. And and I get it. When you're out of town, it's beautiful. Many of you are watching. Every Sunday you watch every Sunday. But that should be the exception, not the rule. See, the Bible says, forsake not the assembly. Get together. Watch this, church. We need you. You need us. And we're making it harder when you're in your underwear. Uh oh. Watching TV every Sunday. Now I'm really going to get some emails. I'm glad they don't edit those. I mean, I, I get it. I would love to wake up and get a cup of coffee and sit in my underwear and watch Pastor Scott on TV. I would love to do that. We're getting too cozy. We're getting too comfortable. 
And I would encourage all those watching online. We love you watching online. I know many of you are out of state, out of town. But that should be the exception, not the rule. As a rule, we should come together because we need you and you need us. Now, as a church, we're getting ready to move through a season here where we are disaffiliating from our denomination. Can I tell you this? We've been working on this for over two and a half years. This has not taken us by surprise. And I want to tell you, I want to commend our leaders. Amen. Who have, and I mean some talented men and women, smart. So one of the first things I, first thing I started to do when I got here as your pastor, I started to find smart, intelligent, godly people, praying people. This hasn't caught us by surprise. We've been ahead of this for two and a half years working on this. Diligently. And these people, these men and women are, are people of prayer. Can I tell you something? A controversial decision like this and every major decision has been unanimous. Think about that. See, you can't even figure out where you're going to go to lunch today. You get in a fight over where you're going to have lunch. We have for two and a half years unanimously been focused on, God, what do you want us to do? And I really do believe, I can't give you all the details today, but God's hand is on this church. God's hand is on this ministry. God is opening up doors that no human man could ever open up. God's getting ready to pour out his blessing on this church. But we need you and you need us and we need to assemble together for an hour and 15 minutes every single week because we're better together, we're stronger together, and we're going to get through this, and God is going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on us. Why? Because we are in this battle together, and we're unified. Can I get it? Amen. amen. And I am 110% convinced that God is leading this church and will continue to lead this church, and he will lead us into green pastures with his blessing, says the Lord. Now, here's number eight. And you're looking at me, you're, you're saying, Pastor Scott, I only see seven. <laughs> Let me tell you how much God loves you today. I was driving down I-4. 75 miles an hour. Bible open. Glasses on. Phone engaged. Pen in hand, writing this last point down for you. And God wants you to know how valuable you are. Your shepherd is willing to risk his life to feed you today. <laughs> so you better appreciate this one. You better like this one. This cost me, almost cost me my life. But I'm always asking God, speak. God, what do you want to say? And we go to print on these notes on Wednesday, but how many know that God still speaks after Wednesday? <laughs> and so as I'm driving here, God gave me this last point to help you today. And in just a moment, before we leave, I'm going to ask you to do something that you've never done before. You'll see two posters behind me. We've got markers that we're going we're to pull out and hand to you. And before you leave, 
the back door, I want you to come up and I want you to write your name. I want you to sign your name or, or, or write what your situation is because we are serving a God that is almighty. He is El Shaddai. He's bigger than any problem that you have, and I want you to declare, God, I am trusting you. As you sign your name, let me be the first one. You are saying to God, God, I trust you. I don't like the situation that I'm in right now. This is a little uncomfortable. Pastor Scott is asking me to show up to church on Sundays. This is a little out of my comfort zone, but God, I trust you. You are an almighty God. And when you sign your name, you're saying, God, I trust you for this new year. You're almighty. El Shaddai. I trust you. I'm going to make you big. I'm going to believe that you are almighty God. You can take care of this church. You can take care of my business. You can take care of my family. You can take care of my children. I trust you. You are almighty God. El Shaddai. And when you sign your name, you're declaring by faith that you're going to make God big. Here's number eight. Almost cost me my life. Here it is. We make God small in our eyes. Here it is. When we surround ourselves with little people. See, when you're big, like I am, I feel good around little people. But little people will drag you down and will steal your faith. You've got to surround yourself with people that love God more than you do. You've got to surround yourself with people who are not tiny in their faith, but you've got to hang around people that have big faith. Why? Because when you hang around people that have big faith, their faith rubs off on you. And you will make God small if you continue to surround yourself with little people. Little people, their goal is when they wake up in the morning, now I'm not talking about physically little people. I'm talking about little people in the spirit world. Little people try to drag you down and they try to make you little like them. And you and I will make God small in our eyes if we surround ourselves with little people. Can I tell you something today? There's some of you need to cut off some relationships. Why? Because little people are dragging you down. Little people are causing you to put God in a box. Little people are causing you to be fearful and fatigued and worried not living by faith. And I'm telling you that if you will make the decision to cut little people, not be mean, not offend them, not be evil about it, but if you will cut the little people out of your life, you will see that God will quickly become bigger. Little people are out to get you and they want to drag you down to their level. And you've got to be a woman of God, a man of God that says, I'm going to surround myself 
with people that are big. Big in their faith. Big in their vision. Big in their experiences. And what you'll find is they will rub off on you and they'll make you big.